Investing in our future. Acting now and acting well with Arabile Kumede. This podcast series is dedicated to considering what decisions we need to commit to in order to see meaningful change. Powered by Standard Bank. What we need is strategies that are appropriately ambitious, but also pragmatic. Let's say, all right, if we want to get there by 2050, what is our goal for 2030, for 2025, for next year? What do we want to be seeing? Without that kind of thinking, I mean, this is not the kind of thing you can leave till 2049 and solve in a year. Welcome to Investing in Our Future, Acting Now and Acting Well, a podcast series unpacking how to redefine business for a regenerative future. In this podcast series, myself, Arabi Lekumete, will be unpacking the current state of environmental, social, as well as corporate governance in South Africa and the shifts needed to make a fundamental change that can achieve a resilient and regenerative economy. If we don't act now, we risk everything. We have reached the limits of business as usual. The environment, society and even the economy can no longer afford for us to play the blame game. The world is asking us to solve our own problems as business and society. One thing is for sure though, that if we succeed in acting now and acting well, we can redesign our economy and unlock sustainable growth. In this episode, we're going to be talking to Nicole Martins, the acting head of Africa and Middle East for the UN's Principles of Responsible Investment. And we're going to be unpacking why SMEs are essential to Africa's growth and more importantly, pivotal in the eradication of poverty on the continent. Investing in our future. Acting now and acting well. Powered by Standard Bank. Nicole, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a good conversation thus far that we've continued to have. And this time around, we unpack the SME space. World Bank data also finding that SMEs contribute up to 60% of all employment and as much as 40% of the GDP in emerging economies. I guess for that reason alone, SMEs are definitely essential to Africa's growth, right? It's a great question. And there's been a lot of research that's been done into SMEs as the growth powerhouse for emerging markets and particularly across Africa. From my perspective, you know, I'm in no way an SME expert, but I focus on sustainable and green growth. And the role of SMEs in that specific sector is so crucial. A lot of the solutions that we need are at a micro scale. A lot of the technologies and the approaches we need to be testing are really innovative, out of the box kinds of things that are not going to come from sort of mega projects at big listed companies. They're going to come from social entrepreneurs trying to solve problems in their communities. So it's really a crucial sector and it's it's one that apart from creating employment is also where we try new things, where there's innovation, where there's community-led engagement, integrated development happens. So you can't understate the importance of the sector for growth and for sustainable and green growth going forward. Mm. Has enough emphasis though been put on these? And I say that in the context of just understanding that, as you said, the smaller ones are the ones who are kind of finding those little innovations that are then going to be needed. But is there enough significance being put on these smaller entities who are able to then garner enough interest, enough growth, whether it be in the green energy space or any other space for that matter? Oh, no, absolutely not. And I think that's why there's been developments, things like the Green Outcomes Fund, which is currently in pilot phase, run by Green Cape and the Bertha Centre through the Jobs Fund with National Treasury. Those kinds of innovative 
finance mechanisms have been set up exactly for this reason. Because small businesses, whether they have the potential to rapidly scale or not, are struggling to get finance. And particularly when what they are proposing is innovative and different and sort of focused on sustainability or green economy. So then, Nicole, has regulation caught up? I mean, has it worked hard enough to create sort of a registration process or anything of that like to make that SME space a little bit easier, uh, particularly on a global scale too? I do think, at least from a finance side, no, we're not there yet. I think there's a lot of space there for support and for setting up policies and frameworks and tools that allow us to support these businesses. From my engagement with investors and DFIs um, around the world and locally, you know, there's a growing understanding that we need to support this kind of thing. So smaller businesses, smaller projects, innovative ideas, but the tools that we use to judge something as investment worthy, as worthy of our support, are still set up to only sort of check the boxes for big tried and tested projects. And until we can change the frameworks that we're using, we're not going to change the businesses that we're supporting. That seems and certainly feels like the case for the most part. It also feels like it may be financially intensive, right? So it needs a little bit of a push financially. Have you found that to be the case in, in you know, in the entities and the countries that you've gotten to speak to and, 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 and engaged with? Definitely. That finance specifically needs to be div- uh, directed towards incubation and de-risking these businesses. So there's a very big difference between a good idea and a good investment. Mm-hmm. And the steps that you take in between those, that's where there's a gap at the moment. So there's an issue there of sometimes the financing that's needed to get a project to bankability to go through those feasibility assessments and studies. Sometimes it's a capacity issue, so a competence or technical competence issue. And there's a bit of a question at the moment as to whose role it is to fill that gap. So should it be something that the public sector does? Is it a role for DFIs? Should investors be building their own pipeline? Um, And and how do you justify them spending that money if it's not going to definitely generate a return for them? So there's definitely a space there that needs a lot of support around that incubation. And we've seen a bit of work there. I think there's definitely space. We know that South Africa's venture capital market is much smaller than it needs to be. Yeah. And I know that South has been doing a lot of work there in incubating, at least on the fund management side, managers that are more agile and can look at these kinds of projects with a broader lens. So that's great to see. But there's still a big gap there between trying to match the finance with the project. Mm. How much is based on education then and and educating whether it be both the the consumers of this, but at the same time, also those that try to be part of that SME space as they try to develop the entities that they don't just go to the same old tried and tested, but really enter the new spaces that are required for the growth that the continent needs. It's critical. There's a dearth of education at the moment across the spectrum, especially around things like these green and sustainable businesses. Right. It's not just about today. It's really just becoming about what happens in future. And then that essence of responsible investing becomes so critical and important. And the multinationals sort of need to play a role here too, right? In bringing the smaller entities up. Is that happening enough in your engagement here? It's definitely picking up, but I think when we think about this transition that we're under, right, the global economy is in transition, South Africa is in transition, we just announced at COP this massive climate finance deal, and it's all about transitioning existing resources to more sustainable resources. And what that entails is that sometimes we've got this utopian vision of the transition as something that's very smooth and painless and involves flipping one switch, one big mega project. We just transform ESCOM, we just look at Sassel and everything will be fine. 
fine. And what we need to acknowledge is that alongside those mega projects, which yes are very important, are millions of small micro projects that need to happen. For every coal mine that you close down, there's a community that's left without an economy. And that means there's opportunity to set up a new one, right? And that's not going to be replaced necessarily with one thing. Just because it was grown from one thing doesn't mean that's what will replace it. And so then you need to keep an eye out for what are the lots of little things, the small projects that all will come together, that all add up, that are going to solve this problem. And therein lies huge opportunity for small business that, like you say, that's looking not just at what do we need now, but what are we going to need in the future? And so there's a there's a big role for small business to play there and for community-led efforts, for social entrepreneurs. And then obviously for educating not just these communities that are going to be hardest hit on how to take advantage of the opportunities, but also on the finance sector and how do you actually support these? How do you retrofit your system so that you are able to support these projects? And then for policymakers on how do you create an enabling environment so that these funders and projects can actually find each other. The right kind of leadership is also going to be absolutely crucial here. Do you get a sense that leaders across the continent are willing, are keen and are saying to themselves, this has to be a priority now? I definitely think the awareness is growing. I think, you know, politics is intensely complicated and you you can never underestimate the influence and the power of vested interest and how it can stop progress despite everyone's sort of logical understanding that that's what's necessary. But I think some of the developments we've seen across the continent, including South Africa's big climate finance deal that's just been announced that I mentioned, but also markets like Kenya where, you know, policymakers realize that the climate emergency was potentially costing them three to six percent in GDP every year. And so they acted, they put in place the policies, and now they're set to become a renewable energy exporter. So I think when that switch goes off, you can't stop it. You can't unlearn that kind of thing. So where there's education and there's drive and ambition coupled with competence and willingness to engage, then there's progress. What we're seeing as well, which is really heartening to see, is that there's a growing understanding that no one stakeholder group can and do this by themselves. So we can't rely solely on government. We can't rely solely on the finance sector. You can't, as much as it's very important, rely solely on SMEs to get us through this. Everyone needs to play their part and it all adds up in the end. And so what we need to be doing is thinking about frameworks that allow for that collaboration, for cross-learning, for different stakeholder groups to really lean on their strengths and work together to get to the end goal. Yeah, getting to that end goal is possibly one of the parts that I think some people get impatient with. I mean, I'll give you an example here. You have the net zero accord that we're sort of all sort of trying to agree to when it comes to COP26 and future COPs as well. But one thing is for sure is that a process like that is going to need time, is going to need patience. Do you think that we're maybe getting too excited Uh, nervous about where things currently stand and maybe aren't just doing the right things and are starting to just plug at little holes that help temporarily, but not in the long term? Yeah, I definitely think that's a risk. I think the biggest risk with something like a net zero by 2050 target is that it seems so far away that it's very tempting not to start anything yet. Mm. I mean, A net zero by 2050 target means absolutely nothing in the absence of a plan that starts today. And you do have to start plugging in some of those holes because, like I said, it all adds up. It's cumulative, right? But what we need is strategies that are appropriately ambitious, but also pragmatic. That say, all right, if we want to get there by 2050, what is our goal for 2030? 
for 2025, for next year? What do we want to be seeing? Without that kind of thinking, I mean, this is not the kind of thing you can leave till 2049 and solve in a year. Yeah. And so that target is great. And I think the caution from my side is not to get overly excited about the target in absence of the plan. The plan is far more important and the plan can change over time and as it's implemented might change the target. But the target is progress and progress is good, but we do need to focus more on the plan and that plan involves things that we need to do right now. Still to come on investing in our future, acting now and acting well. Still to come on this episode, I want to find out from Nicole whether we've disabled the growth of small businesses by supporting bigger multinationals and what that means for the future of SMEs. Nicole, it seems though that according to the Middle East and Africa SME Confidence Index, at least 74% of SMEs in Sub-Saharan Africa are optimistic about the next 12 months. In fact, just over two-thirds of SMEs in Sub-Saharan Africa are even projecting revenues that will either grow or even hold steady. Almost half are projecting an increase in their revenues. So it does seem though that things are in some ways at least, looking good despite the pandemic and some are working through the pandemic, I suppose, in in the larger scheme of things, would you say? Projections of growth after something like a pandemic are going to be sort of inflated because you you would expect that at least as things get back to normal, it will improve for you. Mm. But I do think the pandemic in and of itself has allowed for a lot of innovation and for growth and for the seizing of opportunity wherever it was possible. And I know, you know, there's been, for example, I know of some sort of private equity and VC investors that are active in the Middle East that focus exclusively on healthcare interventions and, you know, had success, but not anything. They were shooting the lights out. And then when the pandemic came, all of a sudden, their business model was absolutely crucial. Um, And so they had a really terrific time during the pandemic, which sounds horrible, but we can take it from where it comes. And so now that the pandemic seems to be subsiding, touch wood, their projection going forward is not as positive, right? But the business model still made a lot of sense for that time. And so it depends on what you're doing. But I think if small business is positive, that's fantastic. It is really important. It's, a, like we said, a growth engine, an innovation engine. It's really just so crucial across the continent and the region. So if they are optimistic, I'd be really interested to, to have a look at what's underpinning that. I don't know if it's just coming off the pandemic, if it's maybe some developments around sort of the policy front, if it's the idea that there's more money coming in to support small businesses. Yeah, I know that sort of innovative vehicles like the Green Outcomes fund, for example, here in South Africa, are looking to expand across the continent. Mm. That kind of thing can also be hugely impactful. So, yeah, there's definitely reason to be optimistic, especially African ingenuity knows no bounds. So I'm looking forward to seeing what comes out of the next couple of years, especially off the back of COP26. Yeah, should certainly be an interesting one. In a sense, one could say that some of the growth we could have seen from these small businesses has been stifled because we focus so much on the bigger entities. Would you, would you think that that's perhaps true in some way, that we supported the bigger multinationals and therefore almost disabled, if not stunted, the growth of small businesses? There's always going to be trade-offs 
and you know keeping the economy afloat during this time is no small task and i think that investors and financiers had a heck of a time trying to get that right what i will say is that from the conversations i've been having with at least our institutional investors in south africa there's a rapid uptake now in looking at alternatives as an asset class there's a lot of interest in investing more in the in in that asset class and using it as a way to focus efforts around the sort of build back better mantra projects that are financially rewarding but also have a sustainable impacts of some kind either environmentally or socially as a way to help with the recovery as part of the government's national strategy for recovery and reconstruction i think it's called so there's definitely an uptake but at the time absolutely i think they would have got very little support because the focus would have been on trying to keep the big ships afloat mm-hmm. um so that everything didn't collapse and that was a decision that had to be made and i'm sure there was a lot of thought that went into it but there is always going to be trade offs and i think small business probably did suffer and now going forward with this increase in attention on private equity and vc and specifically around infrastructure projects and related projects i think there's going to be significant um flow of capital towards the alternative sector in the next couple of years mm. that alternative sector though is the key point here right is is no longer alternative though right it's actually very critical it becomes part of that ESG investment uh, space as well right how how important and pivotal is all of that in eradicating things like poverty which are huge across the continent yeah i think the alternative asset class is hugely important because that's where you you have things like infrastructure private equity venture capital mm. and what's really you know that's where your smaller businesses your newer ideas are likely to be yeah. but also where your partnerships your public private partnerships tend to exist sure uh, and when we're looking at the way forward and as i mentioned the focus is on these mega projects that are so crucial so massive infrastructure investment is coming and then also these small projects that potentially will scale and replicate and that are more impact focused where investors want to have more of a hands on involvement so you know it's different from when you're a listed equity focused investor when you're in alternatives often you get a seat on that board and you can really direct the way that these go especially with vc investing investors are very keen to get involved there and to have that hands on approach so i see those two as probably in the next few years the big drivers of growth across the continent is going to be in the alternatives around infrastructure and then this sort of pevc space is really looking for massive growth at the moment yeah and as you said it is possibly the biggest area of potential growth moving forward right because it starts from such a low base right Yeah exactly and especially when you think about something like infrastructure I mean if you're a climate finance or sustainable finance focused investor for example in developed markets that sector is really about retrofitting what's already there so it's a lot of work it's capital intensive and the return is marginal when you look at emerging markets in general and Africa particularly in a lot of cases you're starting from scratch So you get to build from the ground up quite literally these big infrastructural systems and the returns on those both for impact and financial return are incredible it's very attractive and that's why you see things like this massive climate finance deal that was announced at COP because markets around the world are recognizing the opportunity that exists in emerging markets and in Africa and in the sector of you know climate and transition finance and they want a piece of that and so we have a bit of a job to do to make sure we're ready to facilitate all of that going forward in a thing like that a deal that went from cop 26 and the larger countries the uk the us france and i think germany it is that have now put that money through to south africa 
Is it really just going to be a trickle-down effect that it works its way, particularly from ESCOM, for example, to the smaller players? Should it not be working the other way around? Or is it purely just based on the fact that ESCOM, being one of the biggest carbon emitters in the country, needs that priority and then the rest get to play a part after that? The details of this, we're still waiting for a couple. But in principle, the idea is that this money should go a long way to de-risking this transformation of ESCOM and crowding in other finance. In my conversations with some of our local institutional investors and the banks, what what they've said often is that they want to get involved in these projects, but they need that almost like guarantee from public sector and DFIs before they'll you know stick their neck out. And this is what that is. So it has the potential to sort of crowd in that private sector finance, that local financing, and then it does have a trickle down effect, but not enough. So to your point, you'll definitely still have to make deliberate efforts to support small business growth, to support innovation at that level. It's not enough to rely on that trickle down. I mean, I'm an economist. I have faith in the market, but not always confidence in the timing thereof. So it Mm. might not be as quick as we want it. It will get there. But in the meantime, people need to eat. And so we need to intervene every now and then to accelerate these things. Mm. But with this particular deal, the idea is that ESCOM and the functioning, the effective functioning of the energy system for the country underpins economic growth and stability and we can't get away from that so we absolutely need to fix this this is not something it's not a question of either or it's a question of both and so it's about deciding not even which of these things must be fixed first it's about we got to get it all going and this is how we get that part going and then this needs to be work on the small business side sure just very quickly then as well things like youth unemployment um, making sure that SMEs are a bigger part of the value chain All of those elements need to be tackled as well as you get into this form of sort of responsible investment too, right? Has enough emphasis been placed on that understanding and realizing how significant it will be to the end goal? No, 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 definitely not. What is good to see is that investors, the way that they're thinking about risk and opportunity is evolving over time, where investors are increasingly looking at systemic risk, right? So they're looking at not just which are the sort of ESG factors that are going to directly impact my portfolio, but they're thinking more around what is the impact of my portfolio on overarching environmental and socioeconomic stability? Because that, in effect, has an uh, has an impact on the potential of my, my portfolio to generate return. So they're needing to think about this. So are the businesses in which I invest thinking about things like youth employment, about gender diversity, about inequality? Are they adding to the instability that means that when I do invest in this project, an angry community is going to come burn it down? Um, so they have to start thinking about these things. And they are starting. It would have been great if they'd started earlier. But, you know, today is better than never. Uh, So we're seeing a lot of thinking there where investors are increasingly looking at, do I have a specific policy around things like the sustainable development goals? Do I have a specific policy for South African investors around transformation and how I want to see that reflected in the companies in which I invest? Do I have one on um, sort of inequality and poverty? I'm going to ask the companies in which I invest to report on, you know, the remuneration gap in their organizations because that's one way they contribute to this problem. So we're increasingly seeing that, but definitely there's room to scale that up and to to accelerate it for sure. But if you want to be an investor that is still around in 10, 20 years, you have to be thinking about these things. Nicole, so great talking to you. Thank you so, so much for the time. If anything, I've learned so, so much from it. And I I certainly hope all those listening have certainly uh, gotten some info out of it too. Thank you so, so much for the time. Really appreciate it. Nicole Martins is the acting head of Africa and Middle East for the UN Principles of Responsible Investment. 
If you've enjoyed the podcast, please share it on your social networks. The more people are acting well and acting now, the better. Remember to subscribe via your favorite podcast apps in order to receive the episodes as they launch in quick succession. If you have comments on what has been covered today, please further the conversation using hashtag Powering Impact. Until next time, it's goodbye. Investing in our future. Acting now and acting well with Arabile Kumede. This podcast series is dedicated to considering what decisions we need to commit to in order to see meaningful change. Powered by Standard Bank.